0: Sean, hey, Radcast is on. Hunting, fishing, and everything
1: in between. This is Radcast Outdoors from the Porter's Ten Cast Studio. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Hello, and welcome to another lovely episode of Radcast Outdoors. Today we're going to be hanging out in the Porter's Ten Cast Studio. We want to thank uh, High Mountain Seasoning for uh, sponsoring the show. If you haven't got on there yet and used HMS Ten, get on there, get your seasoning. You know, whether you're doing fish, beef jerky, some nice elk, doesn't really matter. They have they have seasonings and kits for everyone and everything. Hans and uh, Kimberly are great people. It's a great made in Wyoming product. Go check out their website. And use the promo code HMS ten high mountain seasoning. Today I have a just a regular good old guest. It's Patrick Edwards, but I'm pretty excited. We've talked about it and we're gonna cover, you know, some just species specific topic specific, you know, specials over the next couple weeks, going over whatever we feel that we want to talk about. So today, Patrick, what what are we gonna do? I think we should talk about some fishing it's getting spring so the, the the water is no longer as solid as it has been for the last few months right
0: yeah I think around here you're gonna see ice a little bit longer than everywhere else in the state just because of how cold we've been but yeah it's definitely starting to come off and I think people are itching to get out there and do some like me some walleye fishing so we'll see what happens
1: so if let's say let's say I got the itch to go walleye fishing right mm-hmm you know what what would be? Let's let's take two approaches. What would be the poor man's approach to catching some nice walleye to put put in the pan, put some high mountain seasoning on, and have a nice meal?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think people overcomplicate fishing in general. Um, they think that they got to have these super high dollar rods and reels and and lawn boats and yeah, brand new pickups. And yeah, it's 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 become one of those industries where it's been commercialized to the point that it's kind of Kind of sad because I I think there's a lot of just basic stuff that a person can do and go fishing. I mean, you can go down to Walmart or Rocky Mountain and pick up some cheap rod and reels and a few cheap, you know, things off the shelf, and you can go catch just as many as anybody else. It's just knowing when and where to go was the big thing.
1: I got to tell you about my first fishing trip, Patrick. It wasn't my first one. It was my first fishing trip without my father, right? Because there was a couple, we've talked about it earlier on the podcast, I was strapped in my car seat, and him and his buddy went hiking up some brook trout stream, and forgot that there's a one year old in the car. Right? <laughs> like you go to jail nowadays doing yeah. that. When <laughs> when I was born, that was just kosher, par for the course. Lock the kid in the car. Go do what you want to yeah. do. But I can remember I was, you know, maybe eight or nine years old, and I rode my bike down to the canal, and we lived we lived in northern Colorado, right? So, and I caught a sunfish on a cane fishing pole. I have no idea what was, I mean, you got six foot a liter maybe and a hook. And I don't, we either found a grasshopper or a worm or whatever, we, mm-hmm. something. I went home and I, I mean, I took my fish home and it was spiny. I remember putting it in my pocket and it was poking me, <laughs> riding my bicycle. <laughs> but I'd seen, you know, the monsters on TV and they had all these jars with pickled stuff and hands and eyes. And so I was like, so I went down and took one of mom's mason jars, filled it up with water put my perch in, in my jar and put it in my room. Well, my mom found that about a week later in Ugh. my room.
0: <laughs> it was not pleasant. Yeah, I wouldn't want to open that jar. I think the jar would just go s- straight to the garbage can. <laughs> well, that was my first <laughs> solo fishing trip with my trophy, a yep.
1: five-inch perch.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the, the thing about it is this time of year, March, April, um, walleyes are in a place where they're very accessible. And that's, that's something a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, you're not going to probably use a cane pole and go catch them that way. But um, this time of year, what walleye do is they want to spawn. And so what they're doing at this very moment while we're talking early March is you've got the run, the first run of what I call the little males and they, they run up the rivers first. And so, you know, if you're in Wyoming and you're on the Wind River or on the Miracle Mile, different places where there's a good walleye population, you can find those walleyes traveling upstream to the dams and to the spillways so that they can spawn. And so.
1: So are those little males like,
0: like a jack salmon or just like an eager young guy that's trying oh, yeah. to get a, a jump on the system? <laughs> yeah, kind of. And, you know, they're not they're not big. The, the, f- the female walleyes are the big ones. And they're typically just downstream a quarter of a mile or half a mile in the holes, hanging out, waiting for that perfect water temperature to actually go up and, and do their thing. But the males, what they'll do is they'll go upstream first and they'll they'll get as far as they can and they'll hang out there and they'll wait for the females. And so this time of year, it's it's really fun. You know, I, I've taken my kids to do this, but you, you can fish something really basic. Um, if you have just a spin cast reel for your little kid or, you know, if you have a spinning reel for yourself, all you need is just some, you know, six to eight pound monofilament line and a jig in a minnow, or a jig in a plastic, or like I like to use suspending crankbaits, whatever you want to do, and you can catch them at the low light periods especially, you know, so I'm talking early in the morning, at night, you know, right before the sun goes down, or right when the sun's going down, that's typically the prime time to get some eaters, is the way I put them, because most of them are going to be 14 to 18 inches long, I mean, they're not going to be your big ones, so if you're trophy hunting, that's not probably what you want to do but if you want to get kids out and have fun and just catch some fish it's really easy to do and
1: you know as as i've taken my boy out fishing it doesn't really matter where we go there's a lake we went to here about this time of year and we may or may not have run the four-wheeler over you know eight 12 foot snow drifts to get into this lake (laughs) but we got there you know and the ice had been was gone but it was there was no other vehicle traffic in there and the mosquito hatchet just started every time you laid that fly on the lake now they were fingerlings right i mean mm-hmm. the biggest one we caught was six inches
0: but in two hours we we had 300 fish and he just ate it up right yeah ice out and early ice you know those kind of times are typically pretty hot fishing um i know some people like to go as soon as the ice comes off and get the boat out or you know and you don't even need to do that if you don't have a boat just get your waders or you know go f- fish the shorelines I mean there's a lot of it's just knowing kind of where to be um, figuring out where the fish are going to be typically where water comes into the reservoirs and to the lakes is a good spot to be it warms up the fastest and and really there's a lot of good material out there um, when I was a kid I was not an expert on walleye and I'm still not an expert what I would consider an expert I'm decent at it now but you know when I was a little kid I wanted to figure it out and one of the best ways that I tell people to do it is go get some good literature and read about it and now you've got YouTube and all these other ways that you can get the information but it's pretty basic you know these fish want to spawn and so they're going to look for the habitat to do that the other thing that drives fish behavior is food So if you know where the food's at, you know where the spawning habitat's at, you're going to be able to find the fish and you're going to be able to, you know, catch your limit and go have a fish fry, which is what everybody likes to do. But I I think one of the biggest things is people kind of get mystified by walleyes because sometimes they are hard to find, they're hard to catch at times, but really they're just like any other fish. If you can figure out their patterns of where they need to be at a certain time of year, what they're eating, you can find them. And I find that interesting because... You know, I, I picked up on this a long time
1: ago, and it's fire needs three things to exist, right? You need fuel, ignition, and oxygen. You remove one of those three things, and you're not going to have fire. Yep. Well, I, that little triangle works for fishing, works for trapping, works for waterfowling, works for whitetails, elk, you name it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and on your ungulates or your, your you know, carnivores, they kind of need food. They need mm-hmm. water. And they need somewhere to sleep, right? Yep. And if you can find two of those three things, you're finding where they're spending the majority of their time, right? Yep. And like growing up in the Pacific Northwest, there's a ton of clear cuts, but there's also a ton of old growth timber. Well, those deer and elk, they don't live out in the clear cut, but they don't live in the old growth timber either, right? They're sleeping in the old growth, but they're eating in the clear cuts. Mm-hmm. So where do you find them? On the edge of, of the clear cut in the timber. It's pretty <laughs>
0: simple. Where do their trails run? Just parallels all that everywhere. It's kind of funny that you mention that cuz walleye are like that too in the rivers. They they live on the seam. You know, they're not always just in the you know, the still pool areas and they're not in the really fast current. They're kind of in between the two. Cuz they can rest in the current
1: yeah. in, the, in the the slow areas, but all their food is
0: coming from yep. the fast current. Especially when you have, you know, if you live somewhere where there's a a dam. And they're releasing a lot of water. Most of the time, whether it be brown trout, rainbow trout, walleye, soccer, doesn't matter. They're going to be right on that seam. Just like you said, they can go take a little break and then they can swoop in. They can catch stuff as it comes by. I talked Um, to a scuba diver years ago and he was scuba diving on the
1: snake. And he might get in trouble for this. I don't remember his name and statutes of limitations are gone anyways. (laughs) But he scuba dived down the snake river to like 18, 20 feet. Mm-hmm. And he got a hold of this, like, 12, 14-foot sturgeon, right? And this sturgeon, where he was sitting in this Snake River kind of back eddied pool, he didn't have to hardly swim at all yeah. to, to, to maintain position. But when the diver got, like, a foot and a half to the left of the sturgeon, he got hit by the main current and just washed downstream 300 yards instantaneously. He had to swim around and come back up. And that those fish, you know, they find, like you said, that seam. Mm-hmm. They're not just sitting in the middle of a dead pool where there's no water current no flow and no food but they don't want to be fighting all day every day to stay in current so like rainbow trout behind the boulders right
0: oh yeah i mean they'll they'll find eddies they'll find spots where they can take a little rest and they also position themselves in a way that they can see the food coming so that's another thing when you're thinking about fishing for these creatures is that you want to be able to present your lure in a way that your lure or your bait or whatever you have in a way that it's going to come down right down that seam right in front of the fish. Cause if you don't do that, you're not going to catch anything. I, the first time I fished on the Kenai, um, I was trying to get a good position on the river and there was just nothing cause it was packed. And I, I was just crowded in where I could get somewhere, but I was in a horrible spot cause the water was too quick where I was at. I really needed to be upstream about 10 yards and, in this spot where it was more of a seam and that guy limited out pretty quick. So I just went and sat down behind him and waited for him to get his limit. And then I just came in and I helped him net his fish and then went in and got that spot. But it really, the position and where you're at makes a huge difference. Even for walleye, you know, I've, I've been on the river, you know, not quite combat fishing, but you know, you're, you're in there with a, a bunch of different folks. And if you're in the wrong place, you might as well just give it up. I mean, there's just not going to be a whole lot. You may catch one or two straight. fish. So how does a guy learn, I mean, besides just trial and error, what are some things
1: you're looking for to find that structure, to find those edges? You know, because when I'm looking at a river, I'm looking at bubbling water, and it's, you know, whatever width and Mm -hmm. as far as I can see, and it kind of all looks the same. So what are you picking up on that
0: differentiates one patch of water to another? Oh, especially for walleye, one of the things that's, It's kind of a big deal is if it's really fast moving water, it's it's I mean, the fish isn't gonna sit there. They don't have the stamina, especially walleye. Walleye have zero stamina. Anybody that catches walleye will tell you they are not the best fighting fish in the world. Now they taste wonderful, but they don't fight that well and they don't have a ton of energy to be able to sit there and fight the current. So one of the things I look for is I look for drop offs into pools. Those are typically good places because what will happen a lot of the time is when you have water coming over the top of rocks and then you hit a pool area, the fish can go down into that pool, get out of that current a little bit, and then come up and swoop up and grab stuff as needed. So they'll be in holes. They'll be on the edges of rocks where it goes from shallow to deep. So that's a good spot for sauger and walleye both. Um, Sauger tend to be more, at least in my experience, I catch more sauger at the front end of the pool where the water's coming in and the walleye more at the back end of the pool. It's not always the case, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll catch walleye up there. It doesn't, it? it but in general, I'd say that's one of the things I look for. The other thing is, um, you, you definitely want to look for areas that, um, kind of have an eddy, a natural eddy in the, in the river. So like, if you have a spot where the water comes down one direction, and then circles back the other way, question—that's a good right? spot. Yep. yep, yeah. If you've got a question mark in the river, it's probably a good spot. You're probably going to catch other things as well. Um, a lot of times, there's suckers, there's, you know, carp, there's trout, there's all kinds of stuff sitting there. So, um, you know, it it really is about being able to read the river and kind of understand where that where those fish are going to sit and also where the food's going to drift to them. Cause that's where they're going to be.
1: So you kind of touched on something, you know, I grew up doing a lot of steelhead in the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. and we occasionally would chase salmon, right? But the salmon fishing was th- those, those big, bigger salmon. They like to sit in the bottom of, of a big deep, you know, 18 foot, 20 foot deep hole where the steelhead, they kind of, they find either a little boulder or a little nook or cranny and they, They'll tolerate a little bit higher-paced water. The salmon just kind of rest in this big pool, run up the rapid, and then find another big pool to rest and then run again, right? The steelhead are kind of more, I mean, they're, they're a trout. They're a sea-run trout, right? So they're more spread out and even through the river, and they're much more uh, aggressive as far as, you know, I would say the salmon can be a little a little lethargic, right? they then and most guys are fishing them with eggs, back-bouncing eggs and just presenting that bait. I think salmon's just resting right on the bottom of that. And he's like, okay, I'll, I'll eat some eggs, right? It's And I think a lot of that's more it's just something in their way, and they're just snapping at it instead of actually – because they're not eating, right? Mm-hmm. But steelhead, I've watched them. You know, you get a blue fox spinner, and, you know, you I've seen them 15, 20 feet come streaking out a, of some little pocket and just hammer – that they don't, they don't tolerate stuff (laughs) there. And I don't know if they're eating either. I'm not, I'm not a biologist and it's been so long, but you know, you take two species in the same river, in the same water and you're going to fish two completely different ways for those two species. And sometimes you'll pick up one or the other on that other lure. But Mm -hmm. like I said, with steelhead, we were definitely, we were either uh, putting plugs, quick fish on and, and running those rattle in front of them or running spinners you know, sometimes I caught a couple on flies, fly rods. You can catch them on eggs, but, you know, the, the king salmon, was a, it was a bigger quick fish. It was a different presentation. It was a different spot in the river. You know, yeah. like I said, backbouncing eggs can be very successful, but you got you to pay attention to that presentation. And a lot of it is trial and error, and it's hours on the river, right? And I think yeah. when I was fishing in Oregon, it was like 20 hours per salmon. Twenty average hours of fishing per salmon, mm-hmm. right? And there was guys I went with, and you know there was some weekends we did twelve fish in a day in in the boat, right? So we're doing a fish an hour.
0: But it's all you, about knowing where to go. Oh and yeah, how to present your presentation in the right way. That's 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 one of the big things that people forget about. Because I mean, you can go flog the water with lures and not catch anything, um, but understanding where to be and. The timing is also very important. Um, One of the things I would recommend for people who are out there, I mean, if you want to go do early season pre-spawn walleye, which I recommend people do, it's fun. It's a good way to get kids out there and get them their first walleye or sauger. All you need really is a medium action rod you know, even a light, medium light. I mean, you don't have to go super heavy. Some people are out there with these heavy rods. And I'm like, no, that's not going to work great. Because um, they're not a really strong fish, like I said. You're not, and you need for a sensitive enough tip that you can yeah. feel some action. I, yeah, I'd recommend a faster action tip just so that, you know, you, you can put a, a pop into them and you're not going to rip it completely out of their mouth. I mean, they have a hard mouth anyway, but, you know, you, you need some backbone to it, but you also don't want to be too light. Um, so, you know, if, if you could just have like three things in your box, you know, to go walleye fishing, and this is any time of year, um, especially on rivers is I always have like a suspending crankbaits, my favorite, um, some kind of jig system. So like, if you want to have like an eighth or, you know, even a 16th ounce jig, um, I recommend the PK spin jig. Um, it has a little bit of you know, like a little propeller just above the jig and tends to attract fish a little bit better, I feel like. Um, and then, you know, if you want to go with like some kind of a, a swim bait too. Um, swim baits work really well, especially the molded ones. If you want to go really cheap, Storm makes a really cheap molded swim bait that's about three inches long. And you can throw those into the pools because they're pretty heavy and get it down on the bottom and just kind of hop it along or work it along. And you'd be surprised how many walleye you can catch with a, with just a simple swim bait. So if you're doing that for spring, those are the three that I would say are probably the top things to have in your box. Another one, if there was a fourth option, I would have some kind of a flutter spoon. Flutter spoons work year-round, doesn't matter. <laughs> they work really well. Again, PK, i got to give them another shout-out. If you have a flutter fish or a PK spoon in your box, you're probably going to catch fish doing that. Just throw it out, let it sink, rip it, let it sink, rip it. They think it's a bait fish that got swept through the dam and is wounded, and they'll come up and they'll crack it, and it's a lot of fun. And you catch a lot of bonus browns and rainbows and other things too.
1: Well, awesome. Um, Would you recommend
0: running a swivel on that, or are you just tying those swim baits hard to the hook? Um, What I do is I put a little snap um, on the end of my line. I don't put a swivel, but I will put a snap. You can buy a pack of snaps from Walmart for like a buck. I mean, they're really cheap, but you want to get a little bit of a snap. And the reason I say that is that allows the bait to do the action it's meant to do. And it also allows you to change lures pretty quickly. If Typically with jigs, I, I don't use a snap. I just tie directly to it. Um, but if I'm using a crankbait or a swimbait, I want that snap because it has that kind of rounded end that goes through the eyelet and that will spin and pivot in the current a little bit better gives it a little bit better action so i would definitely recommend going with a snap
1: okay i just i noticed when we were fishing smallies
0: and catching a lot Mm -hmm. in a day you want to run a swivel or or your line's going to be all sorts yeah and it depends on what you have like if i'm fishing a spoon i'm definitely having a swivel on there because it's going to be going all over the place with that you know snap jigging kind of approach Um, but yeah, when you're fishing a crank or a swim bait, you don't need to worry about that. So eight to 10 pound test, a a medium, Uh, I'd say six to eight, um, medium to medium light action, you know, fast action tip. Again, you don't have to go out there and buy the $400 setup. (laughs) I mean, you can, you can go to one of these local stores, get, get a fairly cheap setup and go catch just as many fish as everybody else. Again, it's all about where you're placing it how you're working the bait in the right time of year. I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, Shake a Spear and,
1: and Ugly Stick. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I bought one or two of those just as a, you know, just a truck rod that I wasn't. Cause I had some four-piece fly rods and some two-piece fly rods and some other stuff that was, you know, expensive and I babied. Mm-hmm. But if I just was going spinner fishing in a pond for a day and wanted to throw it on the dirt bike or the backpack or whatever, I got that two-piece Ugly Stick. And, I mean, you throw a – I wouldn't throw the – the cheapest reel they've got in the store on it, but right. you don't need the, the glass case reel either. You can just, you know,
0: and Shimano makes some, you oh, know,
1: man, wonderful reels at great price points.
0: Yeah, even their low-end Shimano reels are really good. I recommend, for your money, the Fluger President um, spinning reel. I mean, they're very affordable, and they're very, very good reels. I have probably six of them. I mean, they... They last forever. Um, I have a few Shimano's that have lasted for a long time. The biggest thing is just taking care of them. You know, don't bang them up. And, you know, <laughs> make sure you take good care of them, keep them greased and stuff. But, I mean, they they will last you a really long time. And they have really good drag systems, which is also important if you do, you know, hook into those occasional 24, 25-inch rainbow trout that try to spool you, which is kind of fun. Um, those are helpful to have. So, I... I would go with like a Pfluger president reel, and then, like I said, find a find a good spinning rod that's not super expensive. I
1: like to in in hunting and in fishing go in kind of a little undergunned or a little under rod. Right, it, it it creates a challenge that you now have to, you know, and for example, you know on medium to light game, I, I'd take a 243, right? And mm-hmm. and have a hunt out of it instead of taking, you know, a, a big Magnum caliber. And and I'm not dissing anybody that does that. I'm just saying it adds an element of, hey, we, we can't push the the boundaries here. We have to be conservative. Same thing, fly fishing, when I get bored, even in Alaska, you know, you really, when you're on the Kenai River, if you're going to run a fly rod, nine weights are pretty, you got a chance of hooking into a king, just flossing, you, you do that on a super lightweight rod and you're you're, done. you're in trouble and, and even even a nine weight is you know i've I seen some guys run 10s 11s even up into the 12s it, if you're going after those big kings you, you want to go with
0: a 12 right yeah and the, one of the things that kind of drives me crazy is people think that they got to have all this big stuff for walleye you know i've, I've caught walleye over 30 inches long on the exact same setup that i'm telling you about you know six pound nine now You have to be cognizant and know what your drag's set to because if you set your drag too tight, they're going to break that six-pound mono really quick. Now, if you have it set properly, and I always test it, you know, that I can pull it out and I don't have too much tension on it, test it out before you start fishing. Make sure you've got it set properly. You can handle those fish. You just have to be patient. And what happens with a lot of, especially novice fishermen, is they get too excited and they feel like they got to hurry and get the fish in. Really, it's about... Taking your time, being patient, working them in gently, making sure that you're not putting too much pressure, but you're holding enough to keep the hook engaged, and then let them play themselves out, especially in this cold water period. In I, the summer, I go a little bit faster, get them in, get them out, you know, depending on what we're doing. But especially these big ones in this time of year, you know, you can you can play them out on six pound test and put them in, they'll be just fine because the water's really cold. So they just don't have the, the gumption to get after it. And I, I've yeah. seen. You know, in Alaska, we
1: when we're chasing those big kings down, especially if we're out of a boat and we have some river space to do it, we we let those fish run and we fight them and we play them and it's 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 kind of a it's a hoorah, right? But mm-hmm. when you're combat fishing with with thirty guys around you
0: with, soccer, yeah, yeah. I, you don't want to let them run like that, <laughs> not I, unless I, you want everybody to beat you up after, <laughs> or maybe somebody done. reach up there with their pocket knife if yeah.
1: you're if you've got thirty guys below you all tangled up. Oh man. It, You know, you just need to, but again, I've seen a, you know, a a sockeye at a 12 pound fish. That's a big one. You know, they range from eight to 12 break 20 pound test all day long, but you're setting that drag to where that fish, you don't want them to
0: get out in the current. And they, they, they're, they're, those fish fight. I mean, they, they they're like hooking onto a freight train going by. It's crazy. (laughs) I, I'll never forget that. The first one I hooked, it was like. It was like hooking onto a freight train. I mean, they are so powerful. They will pull the rod out of your hand. Yeah. Whereas, you know, walleye is not going to do that. I mean, they, even the big ones, you know, I've caught some up to, you know, 12, 13 pounds. They don't, they don't pull hard enough to really do much to you. I mean, yeah, they're strong ish at that size, but they're still nothing like a salmon or a big trout. Well,
1: what I'd like, what I like to do when I lived there was I'd sneak down with my six weight fly rod and I'd, wait till the crowds are gone either later in the season or preseason, but you go catch a fish on a six weight fly rod. I mean, it's, it spools you more than once and it's, it Mm -hmm. it makes it fun, but don't, if, if I'm up there fishing and you're doing that one guy above me in combat, we're going to have some words, my friend.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But yeah, get out there. This is the time of year to go put a little meat in the freezer, get the kids involved. Um, again, don't go spend a ton of money. I don't think you need to do that. Um, the biggest thing is just get out there and try. Um, a lot of people aren't willing to get up at, you know, four in the morning to go fishing, but, you know, a lot of times it pays off. You know, you may you may fill, it, fill out your limit in 30 minutes, um, especially this time of year. This is one of the times of year that it's really easy to fill out. So if you want to go do that and have some meat on the table and have, you know, a delicious meal, I would say get out there and get it done. The majority of my steelhead were caught at- – at daylight and then at dark. Yep. That's, you know, and walleye especially really fit that bill. Um, so, I mean, it's not to say you can't catch them during the day. I do it all the time, but, you know, those low light periods are when they feed the most. So that's the best time to go.
1: yeah I can remember walking down,
0: I'll throw the rivers out there for you the Alcy and the Selettes
1: over on the coast range in Oregon you know walking down to different and the, most of those rivers have a lot of public access right so it's not super combat fishing they have hatcheries up at the the headwaters and that gets the majority of the fishing traffic right but i can remember headlight walking down to get a spot in the dark right and an hour after sunrise is pretty well done but you know i've seen we've had a half a dozen guys on a couple hundred yards of river and you see a couple steelhead get pulled out and it's fun
0: yeah it's a blast so yeah again guys thanks for listening hopefully you guys can get out and do some walleye fishing uh if you have any questions feel free to reach out on our facebook page you can find us at ragcast outdoors you can follow us on instagram as well but david and i are always around for you know any tips or advice or anything that you need so thanks again for listening everybody
1: and if you got a secret fishing spot i'd be glad to hear about it (laughs)